Hey, this is actually the landmark 10th episode of the Drinkable Globe podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Cialetti. I don't know if we should have some kind of party or whatever, number 10, but it's a big deal. In this episode, I continue the discussion about Geneva, the Dutch spirit. This time around, I've got Laura Schacht. She is from De Kuiper Royal Distillers in the Netherlands. Uh, they own Rutte Geneva, among other things. And she is leading the effort to promote Geneva, especially here in the U.S., where we don't know much about it. And I'm happy to help her spread the word. So here we go, episode 10. Don't put the pressure higher. Oh, Anyway, it's just, it's, I don't even know, we probably got like five people who actually listen to this. <laughs> well, it's going to be big. I hope so. Especially just as big as Geneva is going to be in the United States. Exactly. So that is a great place to sort of for. ease right into. <laughs> and uh, Laura Schacht, I'm very happy to have you Thank on you. the podcast. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. What brought you to the point where you are right now with the Geneva campaign? So, well, first I should kind of like... And go um, all the way back. I mean, go all the way. your whole yeah. bar career. <laughs> go all the way back. I um, am a bartender myself, and I still kind of like feel like a bartender um, deep in my heart, even though I kind of changed the sides to the dark industry. Um, but yeah, I've been starting bartending um, pretty much 10 years ago um, in... Germany, in the north of Germany, where I am from, and then I moved to Switzerland, and I kept on bartending there, and then I moved to Amsterdam. Um, both of those times, I was also in Switzerland, and in Amsterdam, was finishing uh, my degrees, and I still do have a very big passion for data, but um, the passion for booze was bigger. So eventually, I just found myself to be bartending pretty much all of the time and I was just making sure that I was going to finish my degree to make my parents happy and then I eventually was like okay this is like the bartending career and the the industry the spirits industry will be my home Mm. so and then I decided that and then basically the same moment I got a phone call from a good old friend and he was like there is this small Geneva and gin brand and they are looking for somebody to take care of in the Dutch market. And I was like, that sounds amazing. And I, I had the brand at the bar um, with a, one of their Genevers and was like, I'll happily gonna talk with them. And I, I sit down and it was a really good conversation. And since then I basically work with uh, Rutze and De Kuiper who's owning uh, uh, the small brand. And uh, yeah, so that's how I got to work with Rutze and then what happened I changed to the global team and it's been a great journey since and uh, I was working on a lot of their gins and the Genevers and on the rest of the portfolio but then this Geneva opportunity came up where we were approached by the Dutch um, trade association and they had applied for a subsidy to promote Geneva in the US because Geneva has been massive in the US around the 1880s. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at the old Jerry Thomas books, you have all the Dutch gins, like the Hollandser gin, uh, mentioned in all the recipes, and it's been big, but it kind of vanished. It disappeared, um, and nobody knew about it anymore, and still a lot of people have not heard about it. So we got this great opportunity with the help from the European Union to promote the category. 
and a lot of companies were approached and um, five companies agreed on doing this and we were one of them with Rütze and uh, we have the old time in Geneva as our main um, Geneva product that we're promoting and we're going to launch two more products to kind of fill up the range of Geneva's because Geneva is a super complex category and it's really difficult to explain um, so we want to make be able with Rütte with our products to be able to explain the category so we're going to add two more products in the next um, one two years to be able to do this um, but what basically came up next was that we had to sit down with all the five companies and find a common language and together with someone with Katie from Bowles I was managing that project and it was nerve-wracking to sit down with five mostly really old Geneva producers mm -hmm. that usually are competitors we yeah. do not work together it's at the beginning nobody wanted to talk about anything so they never really collaborated on anything <clears throat> before no not oh, at wow. all we do together with two others have a bottling line but everybody just brings their product there and they're being bottled. Even they, even when they when they were trying to get a definition in the EU, they didn't even really collaborate on that? Um, there was basically no collaboration. It was more fighting for who's bigger okay. and who has like the lowest um per content and that was pretty much it. But there was the the EU regulations on Geneva are super complex. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to make it easier for um, America to have a category that's even like explainable without having to talk for half an hour so we sat down and we we're like okay guys we need to get this together but nobody wanted to give away anything of their details like nobody wanted to say how much malter they were using nobody wanted to talk about the botanicals they were using even though sometimes you find them on the bottle yeah and everybody was just like there and being like ah, i don't want to talk about it <laughs> and it's like okay guys we we can only do this if we work together and it took hours and hours and days and days and weeks and weeks to write up a manifesto where we define how we want to talk about Geneva. Okay. So now we have this and that is kind of like the base for the communication. But I can assure you it was sometimes not funny. It got me to the end of my like nerves. It was like... Uh, yeah, no, I can imagine that that's got to be stressful. It was stressful and it was like we we need to find like everybody had to make compromises yeah but compromise to make compromises are hard mm -hmm. and not everybody sees how much the other company compromise so you're gonna be oh but they still get this and they is just like okay kids let's go back to the table yeah i think it's like i can see that being the case with with people who've been in the business longer and are older I mean, I know, like, when you get a lot of startup companies, like breweries, distilleries, that sort of thing, they seem a little more eager to work together. And they are also still much more, they feel much more agile. Yeah. But if you have a comp company that is, Dick Hyper is 323 years old, Bowles is even older. Yeah. Hermann Janssa is also super old. The Rütte Distillery is established in 1872. You have families behind that that are really... Um, that haven't been showing much in the past and now they're supposed to share with their closest and biggest competitors yeah. almost all of their secrets so it's like it, it feels I can understand it yeah of course but coming from a position where I'm as a bartender and I love the industry and I, I believe that we can make Geneva great 
we like we get there and we get on one table and then nobody wants to talk about it and she's like okay this is not how we can do it and we have to get over the idea of having a tasting table and there is one person for each brand behind that table we mm. need to be one category we all need to know each other's products we all need to be able to talk about them we all like we need to talk about geneva and then secondary we have to talk about our own brands so it's been it's been a, a hell of a journey since and it's almost like a year ago that we started with the whole project and only now we are ready to launch and roll out the campaign and we decided that we want to talk about the journey of Geneva. So A, there is a journey to rediscover where Geneva has come from, but there is also a journey on like about how to discover what is what is there in Geneva because the category is so wide. Yeah. Like there's so much to discover. It's it's insane. So we talk about this whole like yeah, journey on, on, on what there has been, where Geneva has been. Geneva has been pretty much everywhere with the VOC, the Dutch trading um, company. They have been massive in the 17th century. Um, and they've brought Geneva everywhere. And nowadays you can find it back. And that's that's what makes it so interesting to work with. Do you think, you know, having been a bartender, even though you worked uh, recently with with one brand of Geneva. Do you think that that's made it a little easier for you since you've worked with a lot of brands before that it helps sort of wrangling? It makes these? a it makes it easier that I worked in the Netherlands. Yeah. It's um this country drinks more Geneva than anything else. Yeah. <laughs> as the the same as the Belgians do. So um Geneva is around in Amsterdam in in the Netherlands no matter where you go. And that made it easier to even get access to the category. But I have to say, until I moved to the Netherlands, I had almost no contact to Geneva. I heard about it and I knew that it was there. I would have not been able to give any um, kind of like descriptive um, regulations about it, what Geneva has to be or what it needs to be or, mm. or how it's going to taste. I didn't know at all how, um, how much variety there is within the category. I didn't know anything until I moved to the Netherlands. And then slowly I discovered that there like almost styles that taste like whiskeys. There are styles that take like taste like gin. There's anything in between. So anything you could wish for. And that also what's makes what makes it so interesting as a bartender. And then of course I discovered a lot of Geneva's and then I was fortunate to work with one of their companies. So that was basically but even then it took so long to actually working with our master distiller Miriam Hendricks to finally understand the whole category and all its details. Let's talk a little bit about Amsterdam. Tell me about some of your favorite places to drink in the Netherlands. You know, and so there in the Netherlands, there are quite a few favorite places to drink for me. Um, and working in spirits, I also started, particularly with Geneva, I started to enjoy um, beer quite a lot. Mm. Also because Belgium and the Netherlands produce really amazing beers oh, yeah. far beyond Heineken. So you have amazing small breweries that nowadays produce super cool beers with very exotic flavors and working in a Geneva um, surrounding there is one famous drink that we um, can relate to and it's a Copestow which is basically a headbutt and that is other like as you would say in the US probably a Boilermaker yeah so yeah. you have a shot of Geneva and you have a beer next to it and you sip both basically it's not that you 
that you chase the Geneva with a beer, but you enjoy both neat next to each other mm. instead of mixing it. So that is a copestone, and we really like that because with all the varieties of beers that you have nowadays in the market, you can easily find the perfect match for your Geneva to to drink it with. So that is. Uh, something that I really, really enjoy doing as well as some sort of like an aperitivo when you go out for dinner with friends, you just head to the Brown Cafe next door and you'll have a Copestone. So mm. Brown Cafes, to give you a bit of a background, are all the old cafes in Amsterdam that are literally just brown. Yeah. They have wooden ceilings, wooden walls and wooden floors and they pour Geneva and beer and they're called Brown Cafes. Oh, Brown so that is like that's where you go and there is one in particular in Amsterdam it's called the doctor and it's I where all the it's it's so tiny you can barely turn around oh wow and it's been family owned and it's super super old and it's basically where all the doctors used to meet up but it's like it's the same bartender all the time it's an old guy that has a bar chair behind the bar because he can't stand that long and he knows all the stories and it's such a cute little tiny place and all they do is basically serve Geneva's and beer and it fits probably 20 people max but really like scrammed together wow i love those little bars though i mean <laughs> i just love tiny tiny spaces that serve drinks i mean because I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan you know you go to japan you get a lot of these bars where you've got Six bar, well, like six bar stools, and that's all you can fit in the whole. It's the size of like half of this table, maybe the whole bar, and it's just. Yeah, so that is like that is one of my favorite bars, and I usually take all my friends and all my visitors over there because it's just basically a piece of Amsterdam history to go to to that place to the doctor. Do locals go though, or is it mainly for tourists? No, it's actually a lot of locals go there too. Yeah, yeah, you see a lot of older locals that just go there for their daily ration of of Geneva and beer mm. so uh, you see that quite a lot and then um, that is one of my favorite brown bars but there are plenty more and in all of the brown cafes in Amsterdam you will get a decent selection of Geneva and a really decent selection of draft beers or bottled beers so there's really no that you walk in and you're just like oh there's just two Geneva's to choose from mm. or there's a shitty beer here there's like they all have really good selections of everything so that is like that's just a pleasure to walk around and just find your favorite kind of like little spot and in a lot of those like a lot of like locals hang around and read the newspapers and write stuff and yeah it feels almost like a journalistic cafe one and then the other one is like a little bit trendier and hipper and younger people the other one is more like family oriented so it's like it's a lot like different cafes but all of them have the brown brown everywhere uh how many how many brown bars would you say there would be throughout let's just say throughout amsterdam i'm sure several hundred that many Why did it's I... like they are just they are on every corner oh wow because i've been to i've been to a probably a couple bars i guess that would sort of qualify i mean they're not as small as the one you mentioned but i've been to a couple really old bars yeah they were like everywhere and they are super old i missed and so many of them yeah, ex- yeah. <laughs> next time I've I, gotta, I, gotta go, I gotta go on a crawl though the next time i'm there just yeah to, it's it's definitely something you, you can you can do but then also like for me it's like once you found your favorite it's pretty yeah, hard to go course. to any other so you don't like there are two or three more like hopper which is just around the corner from um from the doctor 
I also go there mostly when the doctor is too full to go. Then I'll go to Hoppe and I'll also have a Geneva over there and a mm-hmm. beer. And then they serve like usually super Dutch bar snacks. So they'll have some cheese Ooh. with mustard and some roquevorst, which is like a sausage, kind of like a raw sausage, raw sausage. And then you'll have like a cooked egg, like a boiled egg. Um, and that's pretty much all the things they serve in Geneva beer. So that's, that's kind of like super Dutch style yeah, yeah but then of course talking about Geneva you also have amazing cocktail bars oh yeah yeah that was, that was gonna be the next yeah. question because <laughs> I know you know obviously Rosalia's they they've incorporated a great deal into their menu have you seen um, a lot more of the sort of modern cocktail bars in in Amsterdam have been incorporating Geneva into their drinks more and more definitely it's uh, also in the Netherlands bartenders learned again that they can be really proud of their national spirits. I mean, Geneva also in the Netherlands had a bit of a hard time because people just drank it neat. People were drinking it iced, ice cold mm. out of the freezer. Mm. And there were a lot of products that were just like a little bit cheaper. And nowadays with the craft beer scene and the craft distiller scene, um, people actually realize that there is amazing gin out there, Geneva yeah. out there, and also new distilleries setting up to produce craft Geneva. So slowly there are a good variety of craft Geneva's available in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Of course, so much more than here. Yeah. Um, so people start to be actually proud of it and also to recognize it as its own category again, instead of just what old people drink before dinner it's really like there are copestone bars so there are bars that have like fast like a lot of varieties of different copestones available and there are a lot of cocktail bars that have geneva as a category on the spirit like in the spirits categories they have geneva as its own category instead mm. of putting it under gin where it shouldn't be yeah no and it's like if you order a geneva and you get a hundred percent malt spirit geneva that's been aged that's been matured on cask for 15 years, this is not clearly nothing related to gin. So no. it shouldn't be under gin. It should be its own category. And then you have those categories pop up everywhere. And you also have a lot more cocktails with it. And that is so fun. This is like really, really cool. There are tons of bars nowadays that have Geneva on their menus. As you said, Rosalia's is um, still one of my favorites when it comes to Geneva. It's got so many different products. It's got a lot of old bottles as well. Then there is um, House Bar mm-hmm. at the Kimpton, which does also a lot of local Dutch products. And of course, therefore, also a lot of Geneva's. Um, hiding in plain sight. I'm a bit oh, biased. Yeah. Um, I used to manage used, that yeah, place. Used, yeah, yeah. No, you you sent me there. When yeah, I was there. It was so, really enjoyed um, that too. And they also were so have friendly. a yeah. It's a it's a lovely place. Um, HPS hiding in plain sight, and they have a lot of Geneva's in their back bar as well, and usually feature it on their menus. And then there is Door Seventy Four, which is kind of like a like an institution in Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. It's basically the oldest speakeasy and the oldest craft bar in town. And they, of course, featured a lot as well. They have many different bottles on the back bar. And then there is uh, Flying Dutchman. And, of course, they it's a, it's a well-known bar by now. It's just, even though they just basically opened not even a year ago. Mm-hmm. And they're already winning prices. And they have a very heavily Dutch Geneva-focused menu as well. Wow. So... This is really great to see that a lot of bars feature it. Also, of course, when you go to other cities, it's like uh, 
Amsterdam, of course. I live in Amsterdam. Amsterdam yeah. is always kind of like being mentioned. But let's not forget the great bars in Rotterdam. The doctor in oh. Rotterdam. Same name than the brown bar in Amsterdam. But is it the not same? It's be, not the same? No, no, no. No, it's also the doctor in Rotterdam is just D-R dot. And then oh. the doctor in Amsterdam is doctor with a K. And um, so that bar is great. And they feature a lot of more Schiedam style Genevers because it's more local. It's just around the corner. Dordrecht is just around the corner. Mm. So they have a lot of Ritze and Schiedam, so Geneva. So that is just great to see as well. And then, of course, you have bars in Groningen and Utrecht that will feature probably more of their local styles of Geneva, but they will also feature a lot of Geneva. Oh, wonderful. What about um, Tales and Spirits? Do they have a... Of course. Oh, Sorry. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I should have totally... No, 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 no. <laughs> the only reason I'm bringing them up is because they're actually going to be in one of my next books. No, they're, they're mm-hmm. absolutely... Um, mm-hmm. They have an old Simon drink on the menu at the moment. Oh, yeah, great. So um, it's a painter-inspired cocktail where you can add colors mm. on this kind of like board that you hold as a painter, and it's it's oh, really cool. artsy. I had their cool. Star Wars cocktails. That was because like I'm doing my book is going to be Wars. on well on <laughs> Star Wars on it's called Drink Like a Geek, and it's more about <laughs> oh, the of course. <laughs> the cross section between kind of geeky pop culture and drinking, and so I'm going to feature some of their recipes in the yep. book so that's that's the only reason why I bring them up because like mainly because it's like one of four cocktail bars I actually know in Amsterdam <laughs> yeah yeah but Tales and Spirits is a great place to check and they of course have loads of different Genevers as well so I mean how much um, how much traveling are you going to get to do around the US with this campaign the campaign will be mainly in seven cities okay um New York, um, San Francisco, Chicago, Florida, uh, Miami, in Dallas, and Houston, and mm. I think I forgot one. But that is pretty much the cities that we're going to focus on, and we have category ambassadors in every city mm-hmm. that are trained on the category, not like of course also on the brands but also in the category to educate their peer bartenders about the category and to kind of like get them to try different different brands mm. and different styles and we do have about four to five different trade shows every year so next one will be portland cocktail week will be oh. in san antonio so those are great opportunities to kind of like check out geneva and the campaign will be there if i will be able to travel everywhere i'm not mm. so sure um, I'll make sure that I'll send Miriam over for one of those trade shows because she is definitely the perfect person to talk about um, Ritze Geneva and also the whole category. Yeah. She's an amazing master distiller to work with. And then we'll um, have different master distillers from different companies come to different trade shows. So we'll have, we'll always, we'll make sure that there is always absolutely credible and great people to talk about the category and about the products. So any places in your travels outside of outside of Amsterdam, doesn't have to be in the U.S., could be in Europe, that you love to go and drink, anything that stands out? I mean, anything back home in Hamburg? You're from Hamburg, right? I am from Hamburg, yeah. and I do have to say, um, somebody that basically got me into bartending with his bar was Jörg Meyer, the Le Lyon in Hamburg. I'm, mm. not, I'm not sure if you've ever been it's have ha- you ever Ham- had a- hamburg is one of the it's like one of the few major cities in germany that i haven't Such been to a pretty city 
and it's historically that's why probably also like Amsterdam so much it's it feels very similar it's oh, okay. been a it's been a city of merchants and and trading and so many different cultures coming in and out and being all over the place so you every step you take you see you can breathe history so yeah. that is like in different cultures so that's why I love Hamburg so much and also now Amsterdam but York my have you ever had a gin basil smash yeah didn't I have I think I might have had one at um, HPS yeah so the basil smash is an invention from York Meyer at the Lillion Hamburg. oh really yes so he invented this drink um, 10 years ago. There was his the, the 10-year anniversary just the other week in Hamburg. And uh, he invented this drink at his bar Le Lyon. And that's also why I know that I, I've been bartending since 10 years because my former bar managers where I was uh, working in the service, they took me to this bar and I walked in and it's a speakeasy. It was the first speakeasy in Hamburg, the first speakeasy I've ever been to. I didn't know about this whole category until I went to this bar mm. and I walked in and I saw the bartender's work and I was like, I want to become like them. I want to be a bartender. This is fascinating. How they move, what they do, how much they know. So I started to basically read Charles Schumann's bar book, American bar book from A to Z. I made a um, summary of the book just to learn better about all the categories and the cocktails. I learned specs. I learned everything that I could. Back in the days, it wasn't that you were sponsored by the industry a lot. So oh, yeah. it was books. It was reading books and talking with bartenders. So I was sitting at the bar at Lillian nights after nights and we're just like, probably being the most annoying guest, asking the bartenders what they were doing, why they were doing that, how they were doing this, and was um, learning a little bit by drinking, I guess. Um, but this is basically how I learned bartending. But this bar for me has a particular, of course, charm to me. And it's basically where I decided to become a bartender. So this is really worth a lot for me. But then there is this other bar, as I mentioned, Charles Schumann in Munich. And of course, the Schumann's bar in Munich is a institution as well. And my grandfather, how, which I found out later, used to be a bartender as well. I've never met him. He died oh, before wow. I was born. Um, but he was a bartender at an American bar in Munich. He worked for the Americans. And yeah, he was around there. And Charles Schumann, of course, has been around forever as well. And his bar for me is still one of the most iconic bars in Germany as well. Like that is a place you shouldn't miss out. It's quite a weird place to go to. Maybe the clientele isn't quite mine, but the drinks are just classic. And then he has this tiny bar upstairs, the Fleurs du Mal. And um, this is a really, really craft bar and great drinks. And he has an amazing port selection mm. and so Charles Schumann's Schumann's bar is is just yeah you need to go there. I definitely will. You've never been to Munich either. I've been no I've been to Munich. I've been to Munich many You've times. You've not been to well, Charles Schumann's. Well, the thing is I the times bar? I've been to Munich um, I was there for drink tech a few times and I was almost drinking beer exclusively while yeah. I was there and like when I was actually able to get out and you know, I think the last time the last time I was there was 2013, and um, I was still very much about beer at that point. I yeah. just wanted to yeah. drink beer, and that was that was a big transitional year for me from beer to spirits. But um, 
but at that time, I was still only going to beer places. And, I, and I also, there is another step from spirits to cocktails. So I totally get it. But if you ever make it back to yeah. Germany, go to Hamburg and to Munich. Yeah, no, I definitely got to Hamburg because that's yeah. one place I haven't been. And um, The bar scene in Munich is impressive. Yeah. Like, really. What I, what I miss in some other cities and also in Amsterdam, um, Munich has a lot of really old, iconic very calm bartenders yeah so charles schumann klaus stefan reiner they're established amazing bartenders and it seems like they just keep their hands on the young ambitious bartenders and they keep them a little bit on the ground oh nice so they have their kind of like they spread their wings over the mm. bar community and it's just so humble to work everybody is so humble to work in the same cities and the same bars for those people that it almost keeps those ambitious young bartenders a little bit down to earth and they don't try to fly so high mm. which is not bad either but it just feels in some other cities when you don't have those old bartenders that it gets a bit sometimes the quality isn't right anymore it feels but in munich you have quite a few of them and that just makes it a super calm balanced high quality but also innovative city so i mean is it is it about ego with a lot of younger bartenders is that what it is or it might be a little bit the ego and the industry of course is pushing a lot of the young bartenders and with all the competitions they can take part in nowadays which is great and everybody can learn a lot in competitions but just because you've won two or three competitions doesn't mean you can be a good bar manager or mm. it doesn't mean you you know what hospitality is about. But all those old guys don't give a damn about those competitions. They want people that can be hosts mm. to their guests. So it is a lot about making it, creating a great experience yeah. for the guest, that everything is just perfect for the experience that people feel welcome, that people feel good at their places. And of course the cocktail is part of that, but it's not all. And that's, I feel sometimes that's what young bartenders are forgetting about. Mm -hmm. And those old institutions in basically, yeah, human institutions, they just make sure that this is not forgotten. See, that's really interesting because when I was at Bar Convent Brooklyn, I went to a seminar on bartender training and one of the huge points that the presenter made was um, he had this chart on a, on a PowerPoint and it was basically showing different cultures around the world and for whom kind of, I, I guess, I can't remember whether it was, it was um, the exact terms, I can't remember, but it was like individualistic versus, you know, Serving yourself versus serving others, basically. Yeah. And uh, America, for instance, has a very... Um, it's mostly about, you know, boosting your career, uh, making a name for yourself, that sort of thing. Whereas you look at, like, a lot of Asian cultures and other things, yeah. like, it's all about serving other yeah. people, creating yeah. that experience. And, and in his programs, he really tries to break people of that kind of... Yeah you know, innate 
American thing to like not. I do. I strongly believe that um, success comes from from being a good host and being a good bartender at once and combining all that and have a balance within it because you can it's so hard nowadays to innovate new drinks and always be on top of the game and you'll lose track of what is actually really important when you're spending more time in the lab than you're actually spending with your guests mm. you don't know anymore what they actually want if that's what you do you just like research and are in the lab it's of course insanely important and it's great what happens to the cocktail industry right now and that we get all those new techniques and and methods and drinks beyond everything that I've ever imagined when I was still an active bartender. But it's also like, let's not forget what it actually is about for those guests that come out and that want to have a, they go out to have a good time. Only a few of those geeks, and I do consider myself sometimes as a geek as well, go out and actually drink for to geek out yeah it's great but yeah, yeah. most of the time i go out because i want to have a great time with whoever i go out with and then i appreciate a good cocktail and i also appreciate a cocktail that might might blow my mind a little but if i have somebody in front of me that's not a bartender or that's not in the industry i'm not going to talk with that person about my cocktail mm. i'm going to talk with that person about their lives and my life and what's going on not oh my god this cocktail is great it's like this component that component imagine how that's being made it's great but it's not what i'm actually gonna look for when i when i want to go out and just have a good time so and that's what it is about and then we need good service we need hosting skills i also really like to frequent bars by myself but then it's good to have a great host behind the bar that is actually able to either engage me in a conversation and what i always found super fascinating that was also at lillion in hamburg There was uh, the head bartender for seven years, Mario Capus, and I was just sitting at this bar and I always found it fascinating how he played ping pong with guests with a conversation. So he started one conversation with one guest, then started another conversation with another guest or with a group of guests. And at some point he kind of just like played the game. So those guests would start a conversations would start a conversation between each other and he could just lean back and make drinks so he basically made sure that nobody felt alone mm. that nobody felt kind of like left out of anything and that he didn't had like he he didn't want it or he couldn't like as a good bartender you also need to make drinks he couldn't spend all the time talking with one person sitting at the bar he just made sure that everybody had something to do if they wanted to talk and he would feel it and he'd connect the right people And then he would just make drinks and be a good host. That's amazing. One of the fa most fascinating skills I've ever seen behind the bar. That's fantastic. And it has nothing to do with making cocktails. <laughs> <laughs> so um, just wrapping things up a little bit. Um, last question. Uh, what's the deal with the salary? What's the deal with the salary? So um, in the Netherlands, I'm also known as Miss Celery. And that comes from me walking around a trade show once with a microphone put into a salary into like a yeah stock salary um but actually salary not the um, stocks that you know and not salaric root but leaf salary is something that rutte has been using since the beginning mm -hmm. even though it sounds a bit weird but in our old simon geneva which is original recipe from 1872 we have celery leaves distilled and celery leaves distilled just add a lot of green um, umami vegetable notes but also fresh notes 
to a distillate rather than making it taste like a soup. So don't think of a soup when you read celery on the on the, on our labels. Yeah. Um, it more adds a very um, fragrant, fresh note to it, kind of like a head note um, to the distillates. And you also don't you're in the old Simon, you won't be able to spot it at all. And a lot of people are surprised when we tell them that there is celery in it. But then, because we've had it already and it is a great product in distillates, Miriam Hendricks created a celery gin a few years back for the international range. And that is definitely an amazing gin to try. And again, it's not a soup. Don't think you're going to have celeriac or, or anything like that or stock celery. It's the leaf celery that we have and we dry it and then we distill that um, in our little tiny pot still. And what comes out is just, just fresh, green, grassy notes that it adds to the to the gin. But then, of course, the gin lends itself perfectly mm-hmm. to make a basil smash, something with fresh basil, or in a celery snapper, like a Bloody Mary just with gin instead of vodka, and you garnish it with celery anyway, but it also works perfectly fine with a tonic or with beetroot or with carrot. So it's like it's, it works really well with vegetables, but surprisingly enough, it works so well with pineapple as well. Mm. We make a super cheesy celery pineapple teeny, and that's just fresh pineapple, celery gin, a bit of lime, a bit of sugar, and that's basically it, a little bit of pink pepper on top, and that's a perfect drink. But it's like the celery notes can support all those vegetable, herbal cocktails really well, but you can also twist it in a really fruity and floral way as well. So that's basically how the celery got into the bottle. But um, yeah, nowadays we, we uh, really like to play around with the celery and um, it's, it's a great product to work with. Surprisingly, nobody has done that before, I believe. And promote whatever you want to promote on social media. Let me know where to find everything from Ruta to you to wherever. Now? Now. Okay, so you find uh, Ruta online, um, Ruta Distillery. Um, you can look it up. You can also drop by and say hello in the shop. Um, what is really worth to try, I believe, at now, right now in the US, of course, is Geneva. So go out and find a bottle of Old Simon Geneva. It's an old style of Geneva, so it has a quite high malt spirit content. It works perfectly, actually, talking about like um, how to enjoy it. I would suggest it with a fresh French oyster that is a little bit nutty because it has roasted nuts in it, roasted hazelnuts and walnuts. So just have the oyster pour the old Simon in the oyster shell that you have and just kind of like make it a luge and that like enjoy it like this enjoy it neat enjoy it in a martinez or in a collins um or enjoy it in an espresso martini that's the way how we do it quite frequently with the roasted hazelnuts and walnuts it works perfectly with an espresso skip the sticky uh, espresso liqueur just make it with fresh espresso and sugar syrup makes a great drink we will have two new Genevers in the U.S. very soon, so keep your eyes open. We're going to confuse people a little bit because we're going to have an old Tom Geneva, mm. which is based on a old Tom recipe from exactly 100 years ago at the Ritze Distillery um, with quirky ingredients as Petit Grand, which is like a, um, an oil made from the leaves and the buds of um, bitter orange. Mm. 
So it's a very specific flavor as well. The Rutte family has always been super weird and use the ingredients that they've been using. So that will come out next. And then afterwards we'll have a aged 100% malt spirit Geneva. Um, also again with some weird ingredients like berry distillates and cassis macerates. And so there is a lot to come from to watch uh, Rutte distillery. But then of course, yeah, go out and have a celery snapper or a celery basil smash. And so you also find Miriam Hendricks online. She's our master distiller and definitely a person to watch. She's super kick ass and comes up with really cool shit. And the the Twitter handle for Ruta's at Ruta Distillery, is that right? Or the on Twitter. On Twitter, we I don't think we have Twitter. No, I thought you did. Oh. We have Instagram. I've been tagging somebody. <laughs> oh yeah, maybe yeah. We we definitely use oh, what's Instagram, in, what's your Instagram, and that is hashtag Ruta underscore Distillery. Mm. We work with the uh, underscores because that she you should know our prime minister is also called Ruta. He's not affiliated with us yeah, at no, all. I, but <laughs> the Dutchies are being slightly confused about that sometimes. They're like, oh my god, that's the prime minister, and it's like, yeah, not really. So, is that um, a common name in the Netherlands? Yeah, pretty. Name? Yeah, okay. not like super common, but yeah. there are people that are called Rutte outside of the family. And so we have Rutte underscore distillery, Rutte underscore Geneva, Rutte underscore gin. And um, yeah, of course, Miriam Hendricks. You can find me as Laura Schacht. And uh, yeah, my sure name is a bit German. Um, but yeah, so you all find us on Facebook, mm-hmm. on, on Instagram. And your your Laura loves food and drinks. Right? Exactly. Insta- also underscore, underscore, underscore <laughs> loves um, underscore food and drinks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I really love food and drinks, but then also of course like Geneva and everything that comes with it. Okay, great. Uh, and as for me, you can find me all the usual places at Jeff Cialetti on uh, Twitter, Drinkable Globe on Instagram, and remember the world is out there. Drink it up. And we're going to have a sip of our beautiful Old Simon Genie for now. Okay, and did you hear that? That is the sound of a beautiful bottle opening. Beautiful. The Drinkable.